0: God's put a message on my heart, and uh, I'm excited to share it with you this morning, even if this may be a little bit of a, of a tough message today. But you know what? Sometimes we've got to tackle tough verses in the Bible, and uh, it helps us to grow in our faith. So why don't you take your Bibles and open them up to Luke chapter 17? Luke chapter 17, and the title of the message today is What Did You Expect? What Did You Expect? Uh, have you ever had a time in your life where you had grand expectations, and then you were hit with reality, and that didn't meet the expectations, right? Uh, you ever been there before? Uh, I, I find it funny. There's, uh, there's about a bajillion cooking shows on TV uh, these days, usually competition shows where they, you know, compete against each other, and they try to make the best dish and all that, and, you know, some of them are a lot of fun, and, and one of them I noticed a few years back that they did, they decided to take just your regular average Joe home cooks, right? Not, not special chef, chefs, not highly trained, but people who maybe tend towards disasters in the kitchen. And uh, they brought them on this show and, uh, to compete. And what they did was they, they put out this very nice dessert that was all decorated. I mean, we're talking like cake boss level desserts. They're all fancy that look like, how is that possibly cake? And they said, all right, you have to recreate this and do your best job. The show was called Nailed It. Right? And, and they had to do their best uh, to come back and, and try to meet these lofty expectations. And who could ever come closest to it would win $10,000. So I want to show you some of these. Again, to, to show you the difference between our expectations, because I think it's kind of a picture of what our life looks like. We have these grand expectations, but then when we really get in the moment, reality sets in. So uh, here's some of the pictures. The first one, uh, you had a nice formal wedding cake. Doesn't that look nice? Doesn't that look pretty, oh, that just looks perfect. All right, now this is the reality of what they did when they tried to make it. <laughs> Nobody wants that at their wedding, right? Uh, let's show you another one here. This was the, the expectation. Look at that. I mean, that, that dinosaur looks like he could just jump out of that cake and eat you. You know, it's just like, how, how did they do that? Uh, so that was, the, that was the expectation, and uh, here's the reality it was like the creature from the Black Lagoon or something. It looks more like a frog that, I don't know, is slowly melting. Um, the next expectation that they had, they thought, okay, here's another dinosaur one. We've got, we got like Jurassic Park going on here, you know. We've got volcano, all that stuff. Looks like a waterfall coming down, dinos all around. But here's the, here's the reality. It looks like the volcano went off on Isla Nublar, and now all the dinosaurs are ash and you know it just didn't go so hot show you a couple more uh, gingerbread house anybody try building a gingerbread house in here right and that's what it's supposed to look like you know snow coming down you know it looks all pretty and, and this was the reality of what they, they turned in <laughs> it like went from three stories to the gingerbread shack you know that's, that's what we've got going on expectations versus reality. Let's look at the next one here. Uh, oh, how cute. Right, we've got pigs, and they're, they're, they're in the, the sty. you know, they're in the mud hole, and they're having a good time. That guy looks like he's swimming. We've got Kit Kats around. <laughs> and somehow it's changed. The first ones look happy. These ones look like they're, they're dying in like an active volcano or something like that. Uh, let's, let's check out, I think we've got two more. All right, so we, the unicorn cake. Ah, oh, that looks like perfect for a little girl's birthday party, doesn't it? So let's see what, uh, what they came up with. <laughs> that looks like the mascara is running down, you know, it's just like crying all day. Uh, apparently what's sticking out on top is actually a carrot that was spray-painted gold. I, I don't know if I want that in my cake. Uh, all right, last one here. All right, we've got, we've got Rapunzel up in her, her castle. I'm just thinking there's, there's no way that, that that could be remade. But let, let's see how reality set in. You know, I'm, it's really not that bad. I'm kind of impressed with that one. But, but could we zoom in for a second on the princess? <laughs> that will give you nightmares, won't it? Like, nobody's saving that princess. So these expectations... Versus reality, right? In life, we have a lot of grand expectations. We think, I know how this is going to go. It's going to be perfect. You know, maybe you're standing there on your wedding day and you just look in the other person's eyes and you're like, oh, this, this person's perfect. They could never do anything. You know, they could do no wrong. And you think you're walking into just happily forever after. And a couple of months go by and you realize, oh, this is harder than I thought. You know, th- this is more difficult than I thought or that first time you hold that newborn baby and you just think oh this this child is perfect you know I, I, they, they could never do anything wrong that doesn't last very long Right? And you start changing the opinion. You start realizing like, oh no, this is this is harder than I thought. You know, this isn't like the pictures. This isn't like the movies. Or or maybe you go and get that job that you thought was your dream job. You you had all this other stuff that was rough going on at the other one, but now you got this and you think it's gonna be perfect. And and you know, maybe it is for the first week or the first month or the first year. But then you realize no matter where you go, people are people, and reality sets in. Uh, maybe you have grand expectations for this new exercise program that you're going to do, right? New Year's coming fast, where we set all these resolutions that we think we got this. It's going to be no problem. We're going to we're going to do these things. You know, I'm going to get back to those six pack abs. This is going to be great. And then you see, you know, the cheeseburger or the chocolate cake, and you just can't say no to that. And reality sets in. And the question is, what did you expect? Right? What did did we expect? That everything would be perfect? That it wouldn't be hard? That we wouldn't have sleepless nights? That we wouldn't have any fights? That we wouldn't have any issues? That we wouldn't have any temptation? What did we expect? And really the question that I want to focus in on today is, is, what did you expect when you decided to follow Jesus? What did you expect when you decided to follow Jesus? What were your expectations? When you prayed that prayer, when you said, Jesus, I want to make you the Lord and Savior of my life, Jesus, I want to follow you, what did you expect? How did you expect the rest of your life to play out? You know, maybe that day you thought, oh, it's, it's, it's a free gift. You know, this is, this is simple. It doesn't cost me anything. It doesn't hurt. Uh, maybe you expected that you're going to live in blessing and, and in favor the rest of your life that your relationships would be fixed, that all the issues that you were dealing with were just going to, you know, go away. And you were going to keep going down that road. You, you thought that uh, temptation, you know, this isn't going to be a problem because, you know, now I'm a Christian and, and I'm not going to want to do those things anymore. And, and so what, what did you expect? What did you expect when you decided to follow Jesus? Now, like I said before, this is not an easy message. This is not an easy passage. This is something that I've been wrestling with because oftentimes I have to come back to this question. What did I expect? What did, what did I sign up for? And, But again, if we want to grow in our relationship, I think we've got to tackle some difficult verses sometimes, some difficult passages. So Luke chapter 17, verse 7 is where we're going to start. This is Uh, a story that that Jesus told, a a parable uh, that he told. And uh, so let's let's start with that. It says, suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? All right, so think about that for a minute. Uh, Jesus gives this picture of a servant and a master. Right? You've got a servant who's out working in the fields doing all that, and a master who's at home, and, and he says, hypothetical question here, right? really a rhetorical question, is the master going to tell the servant, hey, why don't you come in and uh, sit down and eat? You've been working hard all day, why don't you come eat with me? Now this was, again, it was a rhetorical question, because historically speaking, what Jesus was saying was an outrageous proposition. It was an outrageous proposition for the servant to come and eat with the master. Now, in today's terminology, it may not be uncommon for you to, uh, you know, go out if you're employed somewhere to, to go out and grab supper with your boss or go over to their house. That may not be unheard of. Or if you're a boss to, uh, you know, invite somebody over that you work with, uh, that may not be that unusual. But that's something that we're only really familiar with here since probably the 20th century. You know, even just a couple centuries ago, this would have been unheard of for you to, you know, associate with your master outside of work, to associate with your boss outside of work, and in in the culture around Jesus's time, this would have this would have been taboo. If we could put it into today's equivalent of what this question might look like, it would be, uh, let's say you're going to go on a vacation, okay? So you call up your your travel agent and. You know, you tell them, hey, this is what we want to do. This is where we want to go. And so your travel agent works real hard, and they say, all right, you know, we've got everything lined up. We've got the flights lined up. We've got uh, your hotel. We've got all the transfers lined up. We've got excursions lined up. You're going to have the greatest time of your life. And uh, I've got, I've got uh, the seat 7B and 7C reserved for you guys on your flight. And, and oh, by the way, I just want to let you know, I worked so hard on this thing that I booked myself seat 7A. You know, so I could just ride along with you guys. I hope you don't mind the aisle seat because I'm a window person. You know, and I'm going to be with you every step of the way. You know, we'd be thinking, no, that's not, I didn't hire you to come along with me on vacation. I, I hired you to plan my vacation. It would be a similar today if, if you hired a, a plumber to come fix a leaky pipe, right? And they get over there. They, they do their job. They get it all done. And then afterwards, you know, after you, you pay them, you, you write the check they decide, you know what, I'm just going to go over to the tr- fridge and help myself. You know, see what I got. And then after that, they decide, well, you know, I, I kind of worked up a sweat during this, so I'm just going to go hop in the shower and, uh, you know, uh, make sure all the pipes are working there. And then I'm going to invite myself over for supper and, and do that. No, get out of my house, right? Like, I invited you here to fix a problem. I've hired it. Uh, you, you've done it. End, end of story. And so that's what Jesus is kind of saying here. This, this would be unheard of for the servant to come to the, to the master's house to sit down and eat with him. So verse 8, he continues. It says, won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So again, this was another rhetorical question that Jesus was asking. Of course not, right? In, in this context, in this culture, uh, to thank a servant for doing what they were hired to do would have been unheard of. You know, same way today, you know, do we, do we thank our car every time that it runs and gets us from place to place? No, we just yell at it when it doesn't work. You know, that's, that's a true, you know, does your refrigerator demand praise for keeping your food cold? No, you know, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't do that. And again, speaking to the culture of the day, it would have been outrageous for a master to say, oh, thank you so much, you know, for doing the job that I hired you to do. No, just, just do it. Just do it. And, and in verse 10, Jesus relates this principle. Now he, he takes the servant and this master principle and he relates it to us. Verse 10, he says, so you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Jesus, we thank you for your word. God, while this isn't an easy passage for us to understand in this century, uh, Lord, we know that it holds a great meaning. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just open up your word to us, that we would, we would understand and that we would grow uh, through this passage, that this parable that you've shared with your disciples. In Jesus' name, amen. So, again, this is a tough passage. In this parable, Jesus is saying, We are the servants, and God is the master. And oftentimes we like to be thanked for what we've done. Right? We we like to thank God, look at all I've done for you. And in this passage, Jesus is saying, You guys serve, do your job, and you don't deserve thanks. You don't deserve to come in and, and eat. You don't deserve to just like as a Christian in today's world, like, well, that's pretty harsh, God. Why would you say that? Let me share a story with you. Um, I heard of a, of a couple, and uh, they, they started dating back in the late 90s. Anybody in here start dating in the late 90s? Anybody? Nobody wants to admit it. All right. Well, just, just imagine for a second, all right? It's the late 90s. They start dating, and I a mean, classic relationship. The guy asks the girl out, says, hey, would you like to do, you know, Dinner in a movie, dinner in bowling, whatever it might be, and so they would they would go out on on dates, and every time the guy would offer to pay for the girl, and she would you know kindly ac- accept his offer and graciously accept it and and so uh you know they every time he would offer to pay and, and go through that, so they went on many dates they they dated you know over the course of a, of a couple years, their love began to grow and and finally they got to their wedding day it was kind of a perfect story guy meets girl they um, come together they're they're married and they live happily ever after right classic love story Uh, but unfortunately what the wife didn't know what the girl didn't know was that even though on the outside it looked like a normal relationship something was happening on the inside that she wasn't aware of because the entire time they were dating and all the way through their engagement the man of her dreams had been keeping a list a ledger you could call it, and uh, of all the times that he had paid for her. I mean, every time they went to a restaurant, every time that uh, they went to a movie, every time they went bowling, not a coffee or an ice cream went by without him writing it down in the dollar amount and the date for how much he had paid for her. Now, by the time they had gotten married couple of years into this relationship you can imagine this this list this ledger had grown uh, quite large and her debt was pretty hefty well it probably won't surprise you to hear the marriage only lasted a couple years and it was actually during the divorce proceedings that this ledger came to light and he presented it as evidence now if i'm the judge in that case that thing's going in the garbage like no, you're going to be a man here, you know, and you're going to you're going to take care. Of, you know, so I I can't imagine, but but he kept this ledger, right? And we see that as as silly, we see that as preposterous. But let me ask this question today: How many of you have kept a ledger? Maybe not with dollar amounts, but against other people, or maybe at your job, right? And, and you're sitting there. Some maybe you write this down, or maybe you just think it, and and you start keeping this list of. All the times that you went above and beyond what you were asked to do, right? All the times when you helped somebody else out, but they didn't help you out. All the times you put in extra hours and didn't get paid because you're just waiting for that moment, right? If somebody were ever to question you, if somebody were ever to attack you, that you could pull out that ledger and say, well, look at what I did here. Look at how much you owe me. Right? Or maybe that mental list uh, of somebody uh, that you keep against somebody in your family or a friend, and, and you're, you're writing down all those times that you bought them a gift and they never bought you one. Right? All those times that you helped them out, but they never paid you back. All the times that you complimented them, but they never complimented you. And we keep this list, this ledger. Again, it may not have dollar amounts on it, but we're keeping this list, this idea of you owe me. Right? You owe me. Look at all these things I've done for you. Now the now the even tougher part. You don't have to answer this question, but but think about it. How many of us have a ledger against God? How many of us keep a list of all the things that we feel like God owes us? Now, you may not pull this one out very often, but... But oftentimes we keep it squirreled away in the recesses of our mind and it comes out when, when it's triggered. Right? And, and the trigger doesn't have to be much, but usually it involves pain. It involves hurt. Uh, it could come out as something as simple as you stubbed your toe or they forgot your fries at McDonald's in your order. Or maybe you, you lose your health or maybe you lose your savings. Maybe you lose your best friend. Maybe you lose a parent. And all of a sudden you say those words, it's not fair. Anybody ever said that before? Right? We all have. It's not fair. God, I don't deserve this. God, I don't deserve. God, I didn't sign up for this. And all of a sudden, we pull out that ledger. We say, God, don't you know all the things that I did for you? Don't you know how much I gave up for you? God, haven't you seen my church attendance lately? Haven't you seen how many times I've been in church when I could have been sitting at home? It wasn't even that easy. God, don't you know how many friends that I've given up that I've had to, because they wouldn't have helped me out. God, don't you know when everybody else is out at the bars on Friday night, I don't go. God, I gave that up. Don't you know how many times I wanted to curse, I wanted to drop an F-bomb, God, but I didn't because I'm following you. God, don't you know how much stuff that I gave up? God, don't you know all the people that I've helped out? Don't you know all the money that I've given, all the times that I've, I've tied? Don't you know all the times I gave so our missionaries could go across this world? God, God, don't you know all the times that I've volunteered, that I've taught classes, that I've helped out? And we keep that list. And we say, God, it's not fair. God, this isn't right. Or in other words, God, you owe me. God, you owe me. And it's in these moments when I look at this passage and I realize, I think I've got it wrong. I think I've got it wrong. Because it's in these moments we become like the unworthy servants who, who are asking, what do I get in return? What do I, why don't I get thanked? Why is no one grateful to me? Why does no one say thank you? Why does no one notice? Why does no one care? Why do I have to be uncomfortable? Why am I still waiting? Why do other people get blessed and I don't, God? Everybody else seems to find healing, but I can't even get healthy. And we begin to say, God, you owe me. So that brings us back to our original difficult question. What did you expect? Oh, isn't that a hard question? What did you expect? What did you expect when, when you gave your life to Jesus? I mean, go back to that moment for a second. Uh, many in this room, you, you made a decision at one point in your life to say, I want to follow Jesus. Some of you here this morning haven't, and that, that's great. I, I, I'm glad that you're here with us this morning. But I want you to go back. If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, I want you to think about that moment when you came to Christ, when you gave your life to Him, or even that, that point of your life. Well, what was it like, right? What, what were you thinking? What did you expect? I remember I was in probably about the back row right over there of a passion play, where we got to see, uh, you know, the story of Easter play out of Jesus giving his life on the cross. And I remember it was that moment where they gave an invitation at the end, where I just, I knew, I mean, tears were coming down, and I ran to the altar. I gave my life to Jesus. So think about that moment in your life. What did you expect was going to change? What did you expect was going to be different? All right, so, so think about that. For a day, and, and think about the words that we use when we accept Christ as our Savior, right? We, we say, God, I want you to be the Lord of my life. Do we understand what that means? To be the Lord. Not just our Savior, but the Lord. To guide us and direct us every single day. To, to literally tell us what to do. What do we expect when we say, God, I want to serve you. I want to serve you. Did we expect that we would have it easy? Did we expect that everything was going to be uh, just right, just how we planned it? Did we expect, you know, that God was going to bless us with a new car or a new house or a pay raise? Did we expect that our family was going to follow suit after we accepted Christ, that they would, you know, hear us out and listen to us? Did we expect that, that every time we came to church or every time we came to the altar, that we would have the same emotional experience that maybe you did on the first time that you accepted Christ? Did we expect that temptation would never come back again? That it wouldn't knock on our door? That life would be easy in that sense? Did we expect that the broken relationships around us would just turn around? Did we expect that we would not have struggles any longer? Did we expect that storms wouldn't come our way? What did you expect? Jesus gave us some expectations for, or some hints as to what we should expect when we say, I want to follow Jesus. He gave us some Some hints as to what the cost of discipleship, the cost of following him would be. And so in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, it says this. Then Jesus said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. When we choose to follow Christ, it's not a walk in the park, but it's a decision to walk a difficult path. So walk a difficult path. To deny yourself, to pick up your cross daily, and to follow him. That, that's not an easy journey. It, it's hard. It's difficult to deny ourselves, right? All those things that we think we deserve, all those things that are on our ledger of we, we think that we, we are owed this, we, we got to throw it out. We got to throw it in the trash can because it says we have to deny ourselves, Right? We need to, to give up what we want, what we think we deserve, because God doesn't owe us for our good works or our following skills. He doesn't owe us. Not a single penny, not, not a single uh, anything. He doesn't owe us. To be a follower of Christ, we simply obey him rather than ourselves. It says we need to pick up our cross daily and follow him. To pick up our cross. I can't imagine what the disciples thought when Jesus said this. I've mentioned this before, but I mean, this is just something that just plays over and over in my mind. What did the disciples think when Jesus said, pick up your cross daily? Because at this point, Jesus hadn't died on the cross. At this point, crosses weren't hanging in the temple and in the synagogue as signs of victory, as as, as signs of, uh, uh, of Jesus. To say, pick up your cross daily... You know, a a cross at that point, that's what thieves died on. That's what the lowest of the low, it it was a public humiliation. They would see people carrying their cross in the street, going to their death. So I can't imagine what it was like. I mean, in today's term, a, a, a cross was a hangman's noose. It was an electric chair. It was a firing squad. So imagine if Jesus came to you today and said, if you want to be my disciple, Right? You need to deny yourself. You need to endure the electric chair and follow me. Like, who's jumping at that? But that's what Jesus told them. How, how strange, how strange it must have sounded to them to pick up your cross daily. The third thing he said, and follow me, to follow Jesus. Right? No longer when we accept Christ as our Savior, do, do we determine our steps or the path that we take? But God determines our steps. He determines our path. We, we get out of the driver's seat of our life, and we allow Jesus to sit in the driver's seat. But how often are we like that critical, you know, co-pilot? Ever done that where you're, you're driving, and the person in the seat next to you is like, what would you take that route for? You know, I wouldn't have turned right there. You know, and it's just like, hey, would you knock it off? You want to get over here and drive. But how often do we do that to Jesus? Oh, God, why do we have to go that direction? You know, really? That's going to slow us down. It's not going to save us time. No, we, we said, I will follow you. Right, we've got to count the cost on this. Being a disciple of, of Jesus, being a servant of God is not an easy decision to make, and it should not be taken lightly. This is high commitment. This is giving our life totally to him. So what did we expect? 1 Timothy 3.12 says, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We signed up for persecution. John 16.33, it says, In this world, this is Jesus talking. He's telling his disciples, In this world, you will have trouble. He promised us, You're going to experience trouble. You're going to experience storm. This isn't going to be a cakewalk. Uh, In the verse Luke 9, 24, it says, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. And that's the thing. You know, we, we say salvation doesn't cost us anything. And, you know, it, it maybe doesn't in the media, but, but really what it costs us, it costs us our life. It costs our life. So if we want to, to really follow Jesus, if we want to make him the Lord of our life, it means surrendering our life. Our plans, our wills, our our desire. It's giving him everything. So again, this coming back to this passage of the the servant and, and the master. We are the servant. Jesus is the master. And when we serve him, when we live our lives, when we give our lives up for him, when we give him our everything, it says that we don't deserve to be thanked for that. That we don't deserve anything special for that. That this is what we signed up for. This is what we signed up for. We signed up to deny ourselves. We signed up to carry our cross daily. We signed up to follow him. Yet how often do we pull out the ledger and say, God, you owe me. God, look at how many times I denied myself. God, look at how how well I've been carrying my cross. Look at how well i followed you. God, you owe me. And we say, "I, I deserve better, or maybe I don't deserve this storm that I'm going through. And it says that if we expect to be thanked, that we are unworthy servants. Now, maybe you're sitting there and there's a debate going on in your mind. Like, what about all these other passages You know, that, that says how good God is to us and how much he wants to reward us and how much he, he wants to love us? And, and you know what? If this was the only verse in the Bible, right? If, if we only had our view of God based on this one verse, we would probably start to view God as, as someone who is cold. As distant, as, as a harsh master, uh, not as a not as a loving loving father, but you know maybe he's maybe he's just you know maybe he's fair, but but maybe that's the best thing we could say about God, harsh at best. So again, you're, maybe you're debating, what about these other verses? What about God's love? What about his kindness? What about his mercy? What about you know, all these things he wants to give us? I, I thought we were not just servants, but we were children. You know, all these different things. So let's, let's compare some things. So in Luke chapter 12, just a couple chapters earlier, verse 37, it says this. Jesus, again, telling a parable about servants and a master. We're the servants. Jesus is the master. It says, it will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. These two verses seem like total opposites, don't they? Right? In the one passage, it's do what I told you to. I'm not going to thank you. You don't deserve it. And in the other passage, it says, if the master comes and finds the servants faithful, then not only will the, the master eat with the servants, But literally, the master will become a servant himself, and he will serve his servants. Now, these passages are both in the Bible. They're both describing similar things. How how can those both be true at the same time? How how can these passages coexist in the Bible? And and so we start by by understanding the Bible is true, the Bible is authoritative. And so if the Bible is true, it doesn't have any errors, then these two passages must come together somehow. And so to understand how these passages can both be true, we need to understand the difference between what we deserve and what we don't deserve. And what we don't deserve is what our Bible likes to call grace, getting things that we don't deserve. That's called grace. You see, in the first story in in Luke 17... If we look at the reality of it, we deserve nothing more than to call God's master, to humbly give him everything and anything, and to say that everything I have is yours. And those lists that we keep are a constant reminder uh, of our failure, that, that God owes us nothing. Right? That's what we deserve. We, we don't deserve to sit with the master. We don't deserve thanks. I mean, think about it. Think about it for a second. God loves you. He designed you. He put a lot of work and effort into making you unique. He, he, the Bible says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Right? He, you're, you're God's craftsmanship. You're, you're God's you know, most wonderful creation. He looked at you and he said, you know, this is good. This is good. And he designed you for a purpose. He designed you to have a relationship with him. He he gives us rules and shows us the right way to live. He gives you a plan and he gives you a purpose in your life. And then what's the first thing we go do? Not listen to him. Ignore him, reject him. Just like Adam and Eve did in in the Garden of Eden. But it's not just their sin, it's all of us chose to sin. All of us chose to ignore him. And, And the Bible says that the wages of our sin, what we deserve, is death. That's what we deserve. We, we deserve death. We, uh, eternal death. The Bible calls that hell. That's what we deserve. It's hard to swallow, but it's true. So that, that first parable is really what we deserve. We deserve just to serve Him. And, and He owes us nothing. He has given us everything. The fact that we're alive today is because He's given it to us. Everything we have is from God. We, we deserve nothing more. In fact, He's been too gracious to us already. So that's what we deserve. But, out of His kindness, out of His love for us, He gives us something we don't deserve. He sent His Son, Jesus. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. And Jesus humbled Himself. He was the Master, but He became a servant. and he put on humanity, and he humbled himself, and he humbled himself, and he allowed himself to be beaten and mocked and put on a cross. And he gave up his life. That's what we deserved, right? We deserved to be on that cross. We, we deserved to die because we rejected the one who created us. We deserved that. But God, in his great mercy, took what we deserved. He took the punishment that we we deserved so that he could give us something we didn't deserve, a second chance. Not eternity in hell, but eternity in heaven to have a relationship with him. He gives us, the Bible says he gives us all things. He now calls us sons and daughters. He gives us eternal riches. He gives us patience. He gives us kindness. He calls us children of the Most High God. Church, we don't deserve that. We deserve to simply be treated as servants or slaves. But God, in his great and unmatchless kindness, not only does he say, come and eat with me, but he literally humbles himself as a servant and he serves us. I mean, think of how foolish it is for us to have this conversation with God of what he owes us. How often have we come off as ungrateful children because we haven't recognized the the grace that God has given us? How often have we had the audacity to say, God, this is what I deserve? You don't want God to tell you what you deserve. You don't want to have that conversation. See, the gospel is a story of grace. So this is the main point I want to get across to you today. And I think the main point of these passages is this. God's grace should lead us to humility and gratitude, not entitlement. God's grace. God's grace, the fact that He gives us what we don't deserve, and His mercy, that He doesn't give us what we do deserve, should lead us to humility, should lead us to saying, God, whatever you need, I'm your God, I'm not going to complain about it, but I'm going to serve humbly, I'm going to serve gratefully, and, and I'm thankful that you put me where we put, rather than God, I deserve this. Entitlement. Do you see the difference there? Uh, If we could have the keys come. I want to close with a a story before we we close with a time of communion uh, where we remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. I want to read to you a story of a missionary. Uh, missionary to Sudan Uh, Sudan is a a country located just south of Egypt it's a hard country, it's a difficult country there's 48 million people who live there 92% are Islamic there's 170 people groups and of those 170 people groups only one uh, is labeled as significantly reached for Christ only one and uh, this missionary she writes this looking back I had a handful of expectations that I thought were pretty realistic. I expected it to be hot, hard, dusty, and dry, resistant. I also expected God to be faithful to his word. Most of my expectations were met without delay. Daily temperatures over 105 degrees Fahrenheit for months on end, tears in my first Arabic lesson, huge walls of dust ushering in mere minutes of rainfall but yet God was faithful to his word. He just wasn't faithful in the way that I expected him to be. Anybody ever found yourself in that situation before? She writes, I found it discouraging that language teachers weren't interested in saying the sinner's prayer after two years of life and life with them. Neighbors were kind and hospitable, but not ready for a Bible study. Thoughts of, why am I here? And this isn't what I signed up for started wrapping in my brain. And she writes, Then I read Luke 17, this passage that we read today of being unworthy servants. And I remembered how faithful God had been to us over the years. Faithful to protect us, to heal us, to restore us, to refresh us, to get us visas. So what was my problem? Everything in Sudan was exactly as I had originally expected it to be. Hot, slow, difficult, daily battles in the spiritual realms, conflicts within and without. Why was life such a struggle? Why couldn't I just be content and satisfied? She comes to this conclusion because I had forgotten that it was my part just to obey, that Jesus is my just reward, that he can do as he sees fit with me, my family and the work in Sudan. Jesus makes every night without power and every delay over visas and permits worth it. And only Jesus makes it worth it. I didn't expect God to bring me all this way to change what he saw in me. But he has. I needed Sudan more than Sudan needed me. And I didn't expect that. I thought God was bringing me to Sudan to change Sudan. I didn't realize that his primary purpose was to expose all the junk in my heart and change me. So grateful that even in the less of ministry, as I thought it should be, I got more than expected. What a perspective. Here's this missionary who came in knowing that this is going to be a difficult battle, knowing that it's going to be hard, only to find out she was right. This is exactly what she expected. But still, there was some. Maybe unwritten expectations that she thought, you know, God was going to answer her prayers in, in great and magnificent ways. And so she's struggling with this concept of what did I expect versus what was reality. I want to share with you this final quote that she has. Again, this idea of what did I expect? Do I expect uh, everything to be great, everything to be, you know, perfect? Here's the quote. Or do you expect God to wring the self out of you in a painful and lengthy process using circumstance and shattered expectations and then surprise you with how good it feels to have his image stamped deeply onto yours? Think about that for a moment. The Bible often uses that idea of, of pottery Right, That we are the clay and he is the potter. And that shaping process is not easy. It's difficult. It's hard. But, but that's what God's doing in our life. That's, maybe you're walking through some storms and some difficulties today. And you feel it. You feel the hand of the master, of the potter, just shaping you and changing you. And maybe pushing down some things that were imperfections just so he, he can build you back up. But man, in that that shaping, in that molding situation, it feels hard. It it hurts. It doesn't feel good. But yet at the end, when we take a step back and we see the Master's handiwork in our lives, His seal placed on us, and the amazing feeling that we have, because we are God's. We are His, and we get to spend eternity with Him. Today, I want to I want to close just with communion, joining around this table with Jesus. Uh, to start out with, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight 28 says that everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and, and drink from the cup. And so today, I want to take just a moment for us to reflect, to think back. And in fact, if you've got your bulletin handy, you've got some space on there, got, uh, you can grab one of the cards from up front, flip it around right on the back. And I want us in these next few moments, I want you to just maybe journal a little bit. Write down your expectations, what you expected when, when uh, you said, God, I want to follow you. Right? Maybe, maybe write down some things uh, of what you expect God to do in us because you know what? God's faithful. Here's some other things that, that he promises us, that he's going to be with us. We, we may go through the storm but he's going to be with us. This world, we may have problems, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So just write down some some expectations maybe. Maybe you write down, it's going to hurt. God, I may go through seasons of being overlooked and underappreciated. God, I may not always get my way. God, I may not always have an overabundance. Or I may get looked down upon or made fun of. Or God, I know it's going to take discipline. But you can also write down I know that Jesus is going to be faithful to his promises I know that my life will be transformed I know that one day I get to spend eternity with him I know it's worth it so take some time just to journal what God's doing in your heart today now to receive communion you don't need to be a member of this church all you need is a relationship with Christ today if you don't have a relationship with Christ uh, today's a great day to start again the, the initial action is easy say, God, forgive me, I'm I'm a sinner, and I'm in need of a Savior. Thank you that you died, that you rose on that cross. I want to make you the Lord of my life. So again, initially, it it doesn't cost you anything, but we need to count the cost because it costs our life. But he promises when we lose our life, we will save it, because now we get to spend eternity in heaven with him. Everything, we are in the best hands. We have a good master who loves us and cares for us and wants one. So today I want you to take a moment, just examine your heart, maybe write down some things of your expectations of what God you want God to do, and take some moment. If you didn't grab uh, one of the community elements you'd like to, they're in the back, you can get up and, and grab one of those, and, and uh, we'll we'll receive this in just a moment. So take a moment, Jesus, we pray that you would move in our hearts, help us to have a moment where we examine ourselves and what you're doing, and examine our, our walk with you, count the cost, of what you want to do in our lives, Just take a moment. This is between just you and God. Lord, you see our hearts. God, if there's anything within us that displeases you, if there's any ledger that we're keeping against you, oh God, we lay it at your feet. Lord, would you forgive us? Make us right with you. May we serve you with all that we have. soul with all our strength. Lord, thank you for not giving us what we deserve. Lord, thank you for giving us your grace instead. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning we want to remember what Jesus did on the cross want to remember the sacrifice that he made when he took what we deserved so he could give us what we don't deserve. It says the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took the bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So would you hold the bread in your hand and let's, let's pray and let's remember Jesus' body which is broken for us. Lord, thank you. Thank you. We take a moment to pause and to remember, as you commanded us, that you allowed your body to be broken so that we could be whole. God, that you you sacrificed yourself on that cross you were beaten, that you were whipped. That's what we deserve, God. Lord, we're grateful. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Let's let's take the, the bread together. It says, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So would you take the cup this morning? Let's just hold it in our hands. Let's pray over it. Jesus, thank you for the blood that you shed on the cross. the blood that you gave that you sacrificed so we could have life the blood that washes us clean that forgives sin thank you Jesus we remember the pain we remember the hurt Lord we are grateful again that's what we deserved but you gave it all for us so we could have life. Thank you that you came to give life and life abundantly. Thank you for your blood. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's partake of the the cup together. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. God is so good. He gives us what we don't deserve. Would you stand with me? Lord Jesus, thank you. God, we are unworthy servants. We are sinners in need of a Savior. God, we think we have all the answers, but your word says there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. God, we're on a road to destruction, and we need a Savior. We need you to be our Lord. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you made a way. God, thank you. You don't have to, but God, you humble yourself and you serve us and you give us something we don't deserve. So God, may we toss the ledger, not just out with the ledger we keep against you, but God, may we, may we toss the ledger that we keep against others because, God, we're, we're in debt. We can't pay it back. We owe you nothing. We owe no one anything. They owe us nothing. But Lord, we, we need you. We're in debt to you. You did what we could never do. Lord, we're grateful today. God, be with us this week. Help us to be more like you. God, help us to be servants who who serve simply out of love, simply out of obedience, and not for some reward. Even though you promise us reward, you promise us eternal life not because of how hard we work, but because we follow you. So we trust in you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Join us uh, over in the gym as, as we get to do that special incentive, but have an incredible blessed week.